I want to add my welcome to you. This is your first Sunday here with us at Gateway. It really is great to welcome you here. Hope you're made to feel at home. My name is Colin. I'm one of the leaders here at Gateway. Um, and genuinely, Merry Christmas to one and all. I hope you have a great few weeks, um, some time off with family, friends, resting, relaxing, eating. Um, I hope you just get some time to enjoy some of the precious stuff in life um, and, and just enjoy time with God, no less. Just a quick reminder that on Christmas Day, we are gathering at 10 a.m. just for a short while, just in the midst of the busyness um, as a family to come and remind ourselves on that day that Jesus, Emmanuel, God is with us. They took on flesh. And we're going to just have some time of singing um, worship songs and maybe carols. I have no idea. Um, boo, yay, who knows. Um, and we're going to just read some scripture together. If you can join us, please do. And then the following week on New Year's Day at 4 p.m. I think it's 4. Is that correct? 4 p.m. Um, we're going to gather again just for a short while for the same thing, but no carols. Um, I, I know they're Marmite. So this morning, we have half an hour, according to the time. Not according to my notes, but when you get up and leave, it's fine. Emma did say to me, she said, now that we've got little ones with us, she said, it doesn't really work if you go on once the little ones are back. So just, so it was a painful moment. But um, we are going to remind ourselves of the story of Jesus' birth. As many churches up and down the nation, across the nations of the world, are going to be doing likewise this morning. This is not simply because it is Christmas time with little ones in the house. I had the sudden realization over the last few months that, oh yeah, bedtime story time. The same book. Over and over and over and flipping over and over and over again. Um, I forgot that's what it's like. Um, the same story being told over and over and over again. And this morning, I want us to remind ourselves of the same story. This time of year rolls around and we remind ourselves as a family of this incredible story. And I want us to come to this, not with hearts of cynicism, not with hearts of, yeah, I, I know, I know, I know, I know. Not with hearts of even just grappling with the idea of God and, and a miraculous conception. But I want us to come with hearts like children. Let's say, same book again. Tell us the same story again. G.K. Chesterton, in his brilliant book, Orthodoxy, he said this, Because children have abounding vitality... Because they are in spirit fierce and free, therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. Yes, they do. They always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. <laughs> well done, parents, by the way. <laughs> For grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony. But perhaps God 
is strong enough to exult in monotony. It is possible that God says, every morning, do it again to the sun. And every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be an automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never got tired of making them. It may be that he has an eternal appetite of infancy. For we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we. What a great perspective on the joy of monotony and of telling this story again and again. And against the backdrop of the pandemic, of war, of a cost of living crisis with inflation, food scarcity, fake news, broken governments, ever-increasing disunity, energy instability, environmental crisis, increasing wealth disparity, racism, fear, separation, deep-seated anxiety in humanity, not just in one or two countries, but across the nations of the world. What a great moment for us as God's family here, Gateway, together, to remind ourselves of Jesus' non-anxious presence in this very troubled and hurting and dying world. So we're going to come to the story in just a moment. But here's three reasons, because I think sometimes we can be like tired old grown-ups with these kinds of things. But here's three reasons I thought of, just as we get going, that we should tell this story over and over. And not just at Christmas. I mean, I know we don't just say it at Christmas, but why we must. And firstly is this, because the, the scriptures tell us that one generation commends the works of God to the next generation. It's not just theological information. It's God's story of salvation and redemption and renewal and restoration. The second is this, that it's not the nativity story, the Christmas story. Emmanuel, God with us, is not simply some story about some baby that was born somewhere in the Middle East a couple of millennia ago. But it is the story that has swept into human history, has placed itself center stage. It tells the story of the one who is history shaping, cosmic changing, life giving. It's a new creation story. And if there's a story that our world needs to hear, it's the hope of new creation, restoration, that we can be saved from ourselves. It's the story of the birth of a savior who has come, God himself, taken on human flesh and has revealed to us the beauty of truth and the truth of beauty, who has revealed to us what reality is in himself. And then finally, the third reason that we need to do this story with confidence and boldness it's because when the angel came to Mary and said, Mary, you're going to be with child and this child is from God and you're going to carry him and his name will be Emmanuel. He'll be the savior. The scriptures tell us that Mary treasured these things up in her heart and she pondered on them. And I dare say that that is likewise our response to this story, that we should treasure these things in our heart, individually, as a community together, without shame, Without kind of just thinking, is it, is it true? 
a that Jesus was born the Son of God. I, I can't know as those who follow Jesus, we should treasure these things, not just to think. Well, I know the story. Yeah, it's a nice story. Let's move on now. Because what you believe about God will change how you feel about him. What you believe about God will change how you feel about him. And we're going to do this all over again, aren't we, as we come to Easter. We're going to tell the story of this baby who grew in favor with God and man. Lived the life that you and I couldn't live. A perfect obedience before the Father. Fulfilled the law of Moses. Did everything that we couldn't do because of our brokenness and sin and rebellion to God. And that he turned his face to Jerusalem to the cross and took our death. Not only did he live our life, but he took our death, paid our penalty of sin, separated from the Father that we might be united, reunited with the Father and receive life eternal. So Easter, we're going to do the same thing again. We're going to tell the story, God's story, of redemption and renewal. And so these stories are worth telling. And this morning, we're not going to go right across the whole story. We're going to focus in on one aspect of the angelic proclamation that came announcing the birth of Israel's Messiah King. In Luke chapter 2. If you want to look it up on your phone or in your Bible, Luke chapter 2, verse 7 to 14. It's not coming up on the screen. You should bring your Bibles. Right. The time came for the baby to be born. And Mary gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in cloths and placed him on a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. The Lord, this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Amen. What an amazing, jam-packed couple of verses that is. I imagine that as the angels were kind of planning, how are we going to do this, this announcement thing? It's nearly time. I imagine that they kind of, the chief angel said, don't worry, guys, I've got it. You just stay back, stay hidden. I'll make the announcement. And then when it just says, suddenly a great company, I just, I wonder if, I'm looking forward to finding out one day, but I just wonder if they said, you're not keeping us out of this one. Glory to God in the highest. 
And they kind of suddenly appeared, however angels do that, but suddenly appeared. And just was so excited at this news. Heaven's Messiah, the Son of God has come. We can't remain silent. And so on this day of proclamation from heaven, Israel's Messiah has been born to you. Israel's long-awaited king who will come and save Israel from himself, who will come and rescue the people, has been born. On this day, the proclamation came to shepherds out in a field. Nobody's from nowhere with nothing. Just think of that for a minute. The proclamation was made to nobodies from nowhere with nothing. Yet we read that a while later, the Magi, the wise men, the three kings as we sometimes sing about them, came from the east. But theirs wasn't a proclamation of heaven in that sense. It was the stars in the heavens. They were reading the signs on creation because even creation itself was getting on the action. It was going, look, Look, I'm pointing to this cosmic event. Yes, we're the cosmos, but we're pointing to this cosmic event that Israel's Messiah has been born. And it's here in the Middle East 2,000 years ago. And he's going to be laid in a manger. I don't think the star was saying that, but somehow the Magi were able to follow the signs in the sky. But the proclamation came to nobodies from nowhere with nothing. And I want to start by saying to you, I don't know where you are in life. I don't know how you view yourself. I don't know if things are together at the moment and sorted or if things are crumbling at the edges or if everything is just tumbling down right now. I don't know. And I don't know whether you think of yourself as a nobody from nowhere with not much or as a somebody from somewhere with something. Whether you're a shepherd-like character in this story or a a magi-like character in this story, however you view yourself, to be honest, it doesn't really matter. But the point is this, this story, this this king, this baby was born, who is also good news to you and I, who aren't Israel, who aren't Jewish people. And he's come and stepped in, God himself. God himself. Jesus, the son, the begotten son of God, very God from very God. The eternal son has taken on human flesh. And forevermore is now the God-man, Jesus Christ. And he has come to you today. And so whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, there is an invitation to you in this passage that you too can come and worship Israel's king. Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to those on whom his favor rests. For just a moment, I want us to focus right down on that word, peace. Because if there is one thing our world needs right now, it's peace and hope, as Kaz was preaching on last week. And if there's one thing that God's people should have in abundance, it's peace and hope. Because we don't work it up in ourselves, it's a gift of God. And we have this story of peace and hope, this proclamation, peace on earth. Peace to you this morning in your family situation. Peace to you in your marriage situation. Peace to you in your work situation. Peace to you in your own 
anxious heart situation this morning. Peace to you in your finance situation. We have this story of peace that we get to enter into, that we get to receive as we receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. So the word peace is common in most languages, it turns out. And many people think about peace as we talk about things like peace treaties. We talk about, excuse me, times of peace. We often think about peace as the absence of conflict, the absence of strife and anxiety. We think of peace as somewhere peaceful. I've been doing a lot of thinking about somewhere we went on holiday back in the summer that was incredibly peaceful. It was just peaceful just to sit and look. We often think about peaceful places. And sometimes we think about peaceful people and peaceful pastimes and those kinds of things. And we can often think peace is just the absence of conflict. It's, it's just when things are a bit peaceful, turned down, when war's finished, that's peace. Well, those are good pictures of peace. They're true things. They are good things. But it's not the Bible's vision of peace. It's not the, the totality of what the Bible holds out as a picture of peace. So in the Bible, yes, peace can talk about the absence of conflict, whether it's between us and God or us and one another or us and ourselves and us and creation. But this idea of peace goes much deeper than that. True peace in the Bible requires taking what is broken and separated, that has disunity and dysfunction in it, and restoring it to a whole completeness. Bringing broken, separated, fragmented things whole and complete together. Whether it's in our lives, in our relationships, in the world in which we live. And the word for this in the Old Testament, this kind of peace, is shalom. The word, is, the word for peace in the Old Testament is shalom, and in the New Testament, it's a Greek word called irene. And a theologian called Neil Plattinger, he said this, he defined shalom this way, this peace, he defined it this way, that it is the webbing together of God, humans, and all creation in justice, fulfillment, and delight. We call it peace, but it means far more than mere peace of mind or a ceasefire between enemies. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. In other words, it's the way things ought to be. And I don't know about you, but my heart longs for that kind of thing, for that kind of reality, for that kind of truth to break open in my life and in our lives and into this nation and the nations of the world. So shalom can refer to a person's well-being, that all the parts, the fragmented parts of us as people in their complex nature and they're moving around and we often feel, I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like I'm falling apart in myself. Well, shalom means to be brought to completeness within ourselves. Things are brought into alignment, whole, no seam. And if you're here this morning and... Life doesn't feel whole. It feels like it's fragmented and falling apart. The story of Jesus is one of shalom, peace to you. And his desire is to restore 
you. To bring renewal into your life. Shalom means to cultivate and make things whole, to restore. Israel had the task, Israel's kings had the task of doing this very thing. They were meant to embody shalom as a nation to the nations of the world. They were meant to do this, but it rarely happened. And so there was a prophet back in the day called Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus, who looked forward and prophesied about this King Messiah who would come and bring this restorative, uh, unifying, complete wholeness, peace into creation. He would bring this shalom that has no end. Sometimes we have moments of shalom, don't we, in our life, where it's like it feels a bit fleeting at times. But this king would bring shalom with no end because God was making a shalom covenant with his people. And he's going to heal all wrongs and heal all that's been broken. And Isaiah said this, these famous words in Isaiah 9, for to us a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. And he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forevermore. This king that Isaiah is prophesying about, he's not just saying this name, he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Yes, he will be called those things. But not because it's a simply name like Colin or Dave or Pete or Roger. But because it is who he is and it is what he is doing and it's what it looks like when he's reigning and ruling. It's the very substance and essence of who this child is that is going to be born. He is these things. I was just reading this week that in the Hebrew, this is like one long name almost. I'm not even going to bother trying to say it. But it is what he does. It's as this, as this baby who's born grows up and becomes the king. It's what his kingdom looks like. It's what it looks like to be in a, a citizen of his kingdom. That these things are true. They're present. They're a reality. And so Jesus is born. Jesus is our Irene, the Our prince of peace. It's what you get when you're a follower of Jesus. You get to step into that reality, into that truth. That the, the peace of heaven has broken into a fragmented, broken, dark, hurting world. Shalom has come. Peace has come. That peace is a person, and it is the person of Jesus Christ, and it's the substance of his kingdom. You see, the biblical vision of peace is, so, so I think often as Christians we think, I'm just holding on to the day that Jesus returns, new heaven and new earth, God with man, we're going to dwell with him forevermore. There's not separation between heaven and earth. Heaven, earth. Renewed heaven, earth. 
God's going to be with us and we're going to be with him. No division, brought to wholeness. That kind of creation story, remember, Adam in the garden and Eve in the garden with God. A wholeness before the fall came. Well, we're going to one day do that. And I think for so often for us as followers of Jesus, we can think when we get there one day, then we'll have peace. But did you hear what the angel said, how the angel said it? Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to those on whom his favor rests. You see, peace is not simply the absence, as we said, of brokenness and hardship and trials and conflict. It's a present reality right now. In the midst of whatever your circumstances, you can know peace. You can have peace. It is yours as a follower of Christ Jesus. In John 16, Jesus said this, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So Jesus' birth brings peace. It's why it's announced, it's why the angel says, uh, peace on earth, peace to you. This proclamation outshines every other proclamation of coronations and royal births and this. It's saying, no, this is history changing, cosmic shaking. This is renewing all things. Jesus is the prince of peace. And Jesus offers his peace to all. I hope, I hope you know that. Jesus offers his peace to all. In John, he says this, My peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, nor let them be afraid. Jesus' peace is something that you can lean into. It's something that shapes life. Your heart doesn't need to be troubled, Jesus says. You don't need to be afraid because you get to hold the Prince of Peace. You get to stand with him. He's walking with you in life. His peace, he's given it to you if you're a follower of him. Ephesians 2, the Apostle Paul wrote this to the Ephesians that Jesus himself is our peace. And listen to these words of shalom, of bringing to completeness. He made the two, who has made the two groups one, destroyed the dividing wall, the barrier, the wall of hostility. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile, there you go again, that idea of shalom, to God, both of them to God through the cross. And he came to, and he goes on to say this, he came and preached peace to you who are far away. That's you and I who are Gentiles by birth, not Jewish by birth. And peace to those who were near. The apostles, right through the letters of the apostles, their, their proclamation is this, that Jesus has come and made peace through messed up human beings in his image, who are made in his image, and God. That now we can actually have peace with God. Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
You see, this peace isn't just something that just... I know there's that great song, I love it, when peace like a river tends our way. I do love that song, but it's not just simply that we are recipients of peace. We are also called to be peacemakers. We're also called in our walk as image bearers of God, because remember, Prince of Peace isn't just a name, it's who God is, and as people made in his image, we are called to do likewise, and we're called to go out and make peace. That's why Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers. Uh, if, you, if you read the Beatitudes where Jesus says, blessed is this group, blessed is this group, blessed is this group, almost all of them are in horrible situations, but Jesus is saying this person is blessed in the middle of strife and trial and poverty and distress. And we are called to be makers of peace. It's the thing we get to step into like Jesus that we can come and make whole relationships. Not just that we can, but that we should be doing those things as followers of Jesus. It's actually on us to be reconcilers. The Bible has told us that. We get to hold out this good news about God who has come and is reconciling all things, is making all things new, has made a way to live life with God the Father, has made a new and living way that you can have life that is true life. You can have the shalom of heaven, and we have this amazing news that we, as followers of Jesus, get to say to people who don't know Him, You can have peace. Hey, Jesus left His peace. He wants you to know His peace. I'm sorry you've got that going on at work. I'm sorry that's your situation. Can I tell you about one who stepped into the storm so that you can know peace? We get to participate in peacemaking. So our job as followers of Jesus, as followers of this baby who grew into a man and lived and modeled and enacted peace, is that we too are to create and cultivate peace. You see, because of what God has done, that now shapes who we are and how we live. I'm going to finish with this. Colossians 3 The Apostle Paul was encouraging the church and saying this, Therefore, as God's chosen, holy, and dearly loved people, this is who you are, chosen, holy, and dearly loved, clothe yourselves in compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with one another and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all of these virtues, put on love. Hey, follower of Jesus, because you are chosen, holy, and loved. Because that is true of who you are as a follower of Jesus. Our lives should now be shaped. What should flow from our lives are those characteristics, are those virtues that Paul's talking about there. And he says this, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. You see, the challenge for us is that peace is something not just that we're recipients of, we are, but it's that something that we get to enact and embody as God's people, and we get to hold out in a dying and hurting world. And the way I want to say this to you, if you right now are saying, I just 
need to know the peace of God in my life right now. And maybe life has hit the fan and it's a bit of a mess. Maybe you don't know Jesus and you don't know true peace. And maybe you're here and you say, well, I've placed my hope in Jesus, but I I don't really have peace in my heart. Peace is real and true in Christ. It's there for you today. That's That's why the Apostle Paul says, let the peace of Christ reign in your hearts. And he gives a whole series of ways to cultivate peace. And those, those characteristics, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, loving, you now have the rest of your life to work on those. They are like the long-term walk with Jesus. You don't just suddenly wake up one day and go, I am now a kind person. I am now a peaceful person. Humility, check me out. It doesn't work like that. It's the hard graft of walking with Jesus, allowing him to come and knock the rough edges off and shape the contours of your heart and the affections of your life. That's building those characteristics takes a whole life. And it's not an impossible mission, by the way. I can think of lots of people I know that are going through horrific situations. People in this, in our church family who are facing cancer and death and financial crisis and all of those kinds of things. And yet, in the midst of that storm, have the peace of Christ. It's not like an impossible mission. And I want to encourage you as you go this morning to set in your heart a desire to say, Jesus, may your peace reign in my heart afresh in this season of anxiety. May your non-anxious presence shape my life again afresh today. In an anxious world, in a hurting world, May, Lord, you have your rightful place as Lord and Savior in my life. And some of you are thinking, we live in an instant age, Colin. Come on. Give us something that cultivates peace a bit quicker than the next 50 years of my life, if I'm lucky. Well, good news for you. Paul finishes this bit in Colossians by saying this, and be thankful. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your heart. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. And that second part there, I hope you heard that. Give thanks. Thankful hearts. Gratitude in your hearts. Three times, Paul's given us the fast track way to peace. That we can have peace. Right now, today, you can have peace. Even right where you're sat. It's like a, it's, thankfulness is the light switch for peace, is what Paul's trying to say here. You want peace in your life today, thankfulness, on. Because the reason being, because if you take all of those characteristics, and we're not going to do this because I recognize the time's gone, but you look at the opposites of them, you have indifference, malice, pride, self-importance, impatience, bitterness, and hatred. And if that's reigning in your heart, you can't be thankful with those things in your heart. Have you ever met a bitter person who's also thankful? 
So the, the quick route to peace, along with the long-term goal of walking with Jesus, of developing Christian character in that sense, is to be thankful in your heart. So I'd love us to stand right now, and we're going to finish. And we're going to finish by giving thanks to God. And some of you here are going, I don't really know if I want to give thanks to God. Well, I want to challenge you, whether you're a follower of Jesus here or not, that actually this life we have is a gift. That the breath in our lungs is a gift. The fact we are here together is a gift. And I want us to exercise thankfulness because my experience of following Jesus is that when whatever's going on in life, the moment I kind of go, right now, I don't know the answer to this. This old anxious heart and mind is running 100 miles an hour. I'm a bit stressed by this. I don't know how to solve that. The moment I go, oh yeah, I can thank God. I can thank him. It just changes my heart almost instantly. And everything that seems massive begins to shrink to its right size. And suddenly I find worship flows. And so I want us just in two minutes, even as the kids come in, don't worry, but we're going to get back into groups. Whoever you said hello to a minute ago, we're going to get back into groups. And we're just going to simply share something that I'm thankful for. It could just be, I'm thankful that I'm here today. It hasn't got to be a long thing, by the way. If it's a long thing, go and grab coffee and then chat. But we're going to exercise thankfulness. We had a team Christmas meal the other week, and at the end, we just, a few years back, Emma and I went to uh, America over Thanksgiving, and we were with some friends over Thanksgiving, and I loved, before we sat and ate, everybody just went around and shared something they're thankful for. And we just did that as a team the other day, just shared something we're thankful for. And I tell you what, you do that exercise, and it's not just like a, a mindfulness type exercise. I'm not saying it like that. I'm saying it's the light switch of heaven's peace for you. And you do that and suddenly your hearts become hungry for the goodness of God again. And so we're going to turn and we're just going to say, I'm thankful for this. That's enough, time, enough thinking time. And then we're going to go and grab a coffee and you're going to go and show kindness and compassion and humility and gentleness and all those good things to one another, okay? So, preach done. Only 10 minutes over. Woohoo! Um, <laughs> Okay, turn around, tell somebody something that you're thankful for. Okay, go for it. Come on, let's exercise thankfulness. Let's do it.